If you would, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 22. Luke 22. And I'll begin reading in verse 63. Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking Him as they beat Him. They also blindfolded Him and kept asking Him, Prophesy! Who is it that hit who struck you? And they said many other things against Him, blaspheming Him. When day came, the assembly of the elders of the people gathered together both chief priests and scribes, and they led Him away to their council. And they said, If you are the Christ, tell us. But He said to them, If I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. So they all said, Are you the Son of God then? And He said to them, You say that I am. Then they said, What further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from His own lips. Then the whole company of them arose and brought Him before Pilate. And they began to accuse Him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that He Himself is Christ, a King. And Pilate asked Him, Are you the King of the Jews? And He answered Him, You have said so. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. But they were urgent, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea and from Galilee, even to this place. When Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at the time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him. Because he had heard about him, and he was hoping to see some signs done by him. So he questioned him at some length, but he made no answer. The chief priests and scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him. And Herod, with his soldiers, treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then arraying him in splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. And Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day. For before this, they had been at enmity with each other. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I therefore, I will therefore punish and release him. But they all cried out together, Away with this man, and release to us Barabbas, a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city, and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus. But they kept shouting, Crucify! Crucify Him! 
The third time he said to them, Why, what evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their man should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked. But he delivered Jesus over to their will. Pray with me. Lord, what we just sang, we believe that you are the only righteous judge. We thank you that you humbled yourself, Jesus. You submitted yourself to your Father's will. You you came to this world and you suffered under the judgment of Pilate. You, the judge, suffered under his judgment. Lord, thank you just seems shallow in light of that. But we do say thank you. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come and you would press these truths and deep into our hearts. Do not let us leave the same people we came in. I ask that my words would fall to the ground and blow away and not be remembered anymore. But Lord, may your words remain and change us. And I pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. This is going to be somewhat of a shorter message than, uh, than, than I usually preach because I want us to have a more extended, extended time of prayer at the end. And I'll, I'll tell you the reasons for that later. Um, and so we're just going we're, we're to cut back a little bit um, looking here at the trial of Jesus. Um, actually, it's, uh, I'm not even sure if you should really call this a trial. It's a, it's a mockery of a trial. It's completely illegal. Um, it starts off being done at night. No witnesses for Jesus are allowed. There is no real defense. Um, they beat up their prisoner. Um, justice is not being pursued here. Every gospel, when it comes to the trial of Jesus, slows down. I hope you've seen that. When you read through the gospels, especially the gospel of Mark, but, but all the gospels, they get there and then they slow down because they really want to draw you into this. Every detail is important at this point. One detail that every gospel includes is this mocking of Jesus. He's mocked, repeatedly mocked. And it's very important that we understand that because it actually reveals a lot about us and also reveals us a lot about Jesus. Um, I've asked many of my neighbors over the years, I've lived at our current house for about nine years now, I guess. When we first moved in there, most of our neighbors were were not believers and I had the chance to share the gospel with them. And um, Every one of them at some point, I've asked them what they thought about Jesus. Just tell me, what do you think about Jesus? And I've never heard any of my neighbors who were not Christians, none of them ever said a negative word. It's amazing. They all had very positive things to say about Jesus. Things like, you know, I think he was, uh, he was a great man. He was probably a, 
a really good teacher. He was a man of love. And um, they, they just would go on and on. And they wouldn't be alone in this. I think if you were to ask the leaders of other religions or even secular historians, tell me, what do you think about Jesus? They would tell you very positive things. Great man, great teacher, humble man, uh, profound ideas, a man of love. The problem with all of that is that that does not get you killed. Those things do not get you killed. Those things do not get you mocked. Jesus did not get killed for being a pacifist. He didn't get killed because, hey, you love people too much. We're going to crucify you. That's not why He was killed. It certainly doesn't explain all the mocking that's happening here when they blindfolded Jesus and they would strike Him and they would say, tell us, who hit you? Prophesy. He was, he was mocked so much that even when He was on the cross, they're yelling, hey, you saved others, but you can't save yourself. The thieves on the cross even started mocking Jesus. The entire experience, He was mocked. But, but you've got to ask yourself, why all of this hostility? It, it wasn't because He said, blessed are the poor. It wasn't be because of His Sermon on the Mount. The reason Jesus is treated with such hostility is because of His claims. It's because of His claims. He claimed to be the Son of God. He claimed to be the Lord of the universe. And nothing brings out hostility and rebellion in humans as when somebody else says they have authority over you. It brings it out in us. If you don't believe me, I challenge you this week. I've got a little social experiment I would like for you to do. Um, I want you to go home, get a big banner, blank banner, and write on it, please do not throw rocks at my house. Okay? Just make a big banner like that Put it in your front yard. Please do not throw rocks at my house. I promise you, the moment you put it in your yard, the chances of people throwing rocks at your house just increased by about a thousandfold. Nobody's ever thrown rocks there before, but the moment you put a sign and you try to exercise authority and say, don't do this, people drive by and they're like, nobody tells me what to do. And they'll stop the car, get a rock, start throwing it's sin in us. If you read Confessions, uh, St. Augustine, he writes about it and he says, he, he pondered so hard about, why did I steal pears from this man's orchard when, you know, it wasn't stealing that I, I was drawn to and I didn't even like pears. It's like, because somebody told me not to. It was forbidden. And that stirs up something in us. All of us in here have problems with authority. And Jesus claimed to be the authority. He's mocked because of His claims. He claimed to be the Messiah. He claimed to be the Son of God. And for this reason, people hated Him then, and people hate Him now. 
Um, I, I used this illustration about two years ago, but it, it's worth repeating. Some of you are familiar with the writings of Anne Rice. Um, she's a pretty famous writer. Um, she wrote Interview with a Vampire. Um, after she wrote that, um, she, she wanted to do a book about Jesus. She, is, she was not a believer at the time, not a Christian at all, but she wanted to write a book that, and, and use a lot of the historical facts about Jesus. And so like any good writer, she, she researched Jesus. She went to the scholars. She read the articles. She read the books. She read her Bible. She read these different things to, to do the good research work. And, and through this, she actually became a believer. But, but this is what she, she wrote because she was on the other end of the spectrum. She says this, uh, These skeptical arguments that insisted that the gospel writers were suspect or were written too late to be of eyewitnesses, all of those arguments lacked coherence and were full of conjecture. Some of the books that I read were nothing more than assumptions piled upon assumptions. Absurd conclusions were reached on little or no data at all. The whole case for the non-divine Jesus who somehow stumbled into Jerusalem and somehow got crucified and had nothing to do with, the, with Christianity's founding which came years later, that whole picture which floated in liberal circles that I had frequented for 30 years, that case was never made. But not only was that case not made, I found something even more surprising. I discovered that these scholars, so many of them that devoted their life to New Testament scholarship, disliked Jesus. Some pitied Him as a helpless failure. Others sneered at Him. Some showed outright contempt. Now, I had never come across this in any other field of research I had studied for example, the people who go into Elizabethan studies are not out to prove that Elizabeth was an idiot. People in Elizabethan studies do not make snickering remarks about her or spend their careers trying to pick apart her historical reputation. Occasionally, scholars will study a villain in history, but even then, they, they, tend, to, um, they tend to argue for the importance of his or her place in history. But in general, scholars don't spend their lives in the company of historic figures who they openly despise. But these New Testament scholars detest and despise Jesus Christ. There's a profound, interesting observation that Anne Rice made. And, and that when, when she was studying Jesus and going through all that scholarship, she found people hated him. People who had devoted their lives to studying him absolutely despised Jesus. They despised him because of his claims. The claims that Christ made forced them to either believe him or to mock him. If he is who he says he is, there's nothing more to do than to throw down their lives before him in absolute allegiance. If he's not who he says he is, there's nothing left to do but to mock him or pity him. And this is why people hate Jesus, why he is still mocked. He has only given us two options. That's it. 
two options. You fall down at His feet and you call Him Lord or you call Him a fool and you mock Him. And if the Jesus you know has not produced one of those two reactions in you, it's because you've never really looked at Him. If you're just kind of indifferent to Jesus, if you just, if you just kind of think, well, maybe He's a good teacher, He's a good moral person, He was a man of love, and you just kind of think those generic things, it's because you've never actually looked at Him because that option is not there. You're either going to call Him Lord or you're going to mock Him and call Him a fool. Now the Jewish leaders in this story here, they've already found Him guilty. Um, they, they've already begun the mockery and, and they want to go ahead and crucify Him, but they can't. You've got to get Rome to crucify. They don't have the power to do this. And so... The first thing they do is actually they move Jesus in the night to have him at Pilate's home by the morning for trial. When they brought him before Pilate, they didn't bring up the old accusations. They had to bring up some new ones because Pilate could care less about this religious, spiritual stuff they were going to bring up. They needed something concrete. And so they said, hey, Jesus has claimed to be a king. Jesus is committing treason. That's their accusation. Treason, which is punishable by death. And this would have to be treated seriously by Pilate because if anybody is trying to seize the throne, well, obviously you got to take care of that. And so, when Jesus stands before Pilate, Pilate asks him in chapter 23, verse 3, this question. It says, Are you the king of the Jews? And when he asks that, we like to spiritualize that. Pilate's not a spiritual person, okay? This, this, is, this is not a spiritual context here. He's asking him about, do you have an army? What's your political agenda? Are you going to try to overtake Rome by force? Are you going to try to bring up an insurgence? Do you claim to be the king of these people? It's interesting that every gospel includes this question. Every one of them. And also, every gospel gives the exact same answer to them, which is extremely rare. But it tells that all, all gospel writers see this question, Jesus' answer to this question, of extreme importance. They don't differ at all in the wording here. His answer in verse 3 is this, You have said so. It's actually only two words in Greek. It's you say. You say. Now, some translations, maybe the ones that you have, might translate it positively as like, it is as you say, meaning a yes or affirmative. It doesn't say that. It simply says you say. It's, it's purposely ambiguous. Um, if you're really trying to pull out the meaning of this, it's frustratingly ambiguous. Because it is neither a yes and it is neither a no. It is, you say. You say. And I think that the reason, actually, I, I know, this is the reason Jesus answered that way. Is it's not a fair question. It would be like one of you coming up to me after the service and saying, hey, Joel, uh, have you finally quit beating your wife? 
there's, there's no good answer to that. I can't say yes, I can't say no. Um, it's not a fair question. It's, it's, it's a guiding question. It's a misleading. It's a, it's a question that already has judgment attached to it. And it's the same thing here. It's not a fair question. Because when Pilate asks him, are you the king of the Jews? What he thinks of as a king is vastly different than how Jesus would define a king. What he thinks of as power is vastly different than how Jesus would define power. Or how Jesus would use power. Pilate's thinking armies. He's thinking commanding people. Coercing people to to your will. And so when he asks Jesus this, it's not a fair question. Pilate, he thinks of power. Well, you see how he thinks of power. He's giving Jesus a lesson in how he thinks a ruler should be. A ruler is one who can take somebody and has power over them and can mock them. A ruler is somebody who can have anybody beaten up whether they're innocent or not. A ruler can exert his or her will on somebody, force them to do what they want them to do. That is exactly what Pilate's doing. That's exactly what Herod is doing. And so Pilate is showing Jesus, I'll show you power. I'll show you what a ruler is like. That's what he's been doing. For for Pilate, power means you can use people for your own ends. We know that Pilate believed this, not just from in here, but in extra-biblical sources like Josephus. We know Pilate was ruthless. He he would execute so many people. Don't, don't, Don't read from this that, you know, Pilate is seriously wondering, you know, like, you know, he really wants to let Jesus free out of deep conviction of his heart. That's not who Pilate is. He could care less about that. He would gladly kill and just move on. But, he, but he's very clever. And, and it's, I mean, it's the day before Passover. Jerusalem is flooded with people. Jesus is an extremely popular figure. You kill him, you've got a riot. You've got that. Of course he wants to, to let go this popular figure to preserve his own position. If he can't do that, and he's got to kill him, he's got to make sure it's done in such a way that the blame is to the people, not to him. And so he goes through all these things. Who do you want me to release? Hey, this is on your hands. This is, I wash my hands of this. But Pilate could care less. I really think to Pilate, Jesus was nothing more than, more than some kind of sorry lunatic claiming to be powerful, claiming to be a king. Like, you and what army? Pilate had a completely different view of power. And actually, if you look through the trial of Jesus, you know, one thing that really stands out is he never opens his mouth. He is silent. He's silent. And the reason he's silent is nobody asks him fair questions. We we see that at the end of chapter 22. In verse 67, it says, If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, you will not answer. 
But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. And so he answers her question by saying, you know what? Why should I answer? Your minds are made up. You're not going to listen to what I have to say. And if I ask you a question, you're not, you're not after the truth. And then Jesus gives his one detailed answer of everything. And he refers to Daniel 7. He says, but from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the power of God. Which is a text from Daniel 7 talking about the ascension of the King in which He is seated at the right hand of God and can judge. And what He says here is, you know what? You are trying to judge Me, but judgment is coming. And I will be the one seated at the right hand of power and who can judge. And after that, He doesn't open His mouth anymore. Nothing more than you say, you say. As people ask unfair questions. Let me ask you, where do you see yourself in this this whole story of the, the arrest and the trial of Jesus? Where do you see yourself? Um, are, are you one of the ones who mocks Jesus? And, and this is how you can mock Him. You treat Him as a good teacher. You treat Him as a good moral person, as just a man of love. As, but you certainly don't treat Him as Lord. That's mockery. Are you, are, are you one of them? Or, or are you like Peter? Someone who's going to deny Jesus when people begin to mock Jesus or mock Him. You know, for most Christians that I know, the reason that their faith crumbles at times, it's never because of an argument. It's never because of some reason that was given to them. It's because somebody sneered at them. Somebody mocked them and they melt. You know, maybe some of you have experienced this. You, you've thanked God for food at a dinner table or at a lunch table, and some unbeliever said, you pray? And you melt. It wasn't an argument. It wasn't, you know, logic. They just, it was just kind of a sneer. Maybe you've experienced that at, at times. I, I can remember this. My, my mom is, um, you know, she's a Christian, but she's not one of the ones who just, she's not going to raise her hand in worship, certainly. She, she's not expressive like that. And I remember she was sitting next to me in a worship time and I wanted to raise my hands and I thought my mom is going to look at me and she might, she might just go, what the heck is he doing? Now she wouldn't have argued with me, but I would have just felt this look and it kept me from obedience. Are you like Pilate? Are you like Herod? People who are going to use Jesus for their own purpose. If Jesus can, can make you happy, you're going to keep Him. If Jesus is going to ask you to do something you don't want to do, you just discard Him. But all along, Jesus, the, the, your, all your views about Jesus really are about you. How can He benefit me? If holding them to Him here benefits me, great. If discarding Him benefits me here, great. But it's all about your power. Not about Christ's authority. 
I hope that, well, I know all of us probably see parts of ourselves in there, but we should also see ourselves in Barabbas, the man who was rightly accused, the man who was rightly judged, but was set free, and Jesus was executed in his place. We we should all see ourselves there. Wherever you see yourselves in this story, I just want you to stop and take a look at our silent and suffering Savior who humbled Himself, put aside His power, He took on shame, He took on the mockery in order not to coerce you, not to control you, That's an abuse of power. He did that to change your heart. Which is a whole different type of power. And I want you to look at Him. 